God bless you. Great to see all of you today. <clears throat> I'm glad to be here. I want to say welcome to my, my family and my, and my um, Pastor Kevin, who's my brother from another mother <laughs> in the house. My spiritual family, my spiritual daughters and sisters and brothers and all who are here today. Um, I believe God's got something specially planned for you today, so we're going to get right into it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask his blessings upon this time. Father in heaven, we thank you, Father, for this day. And Father, we ask that you would, by your grace, clear our hearts and our minds so that we might be able to hear a word from you today that will encourage our hearts and help us, Lord God, to think like you desire for us to think. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen and amen. Today, I will be speaking to you from the subject, Think, taking your thoughts captive, taking your thoughts captive. And that's important because if you do not learn to take your thoughts captive, your thoughts will indeed captivate you. Or to state it another way, if you don't learn to control your negative thoughts, your negative thoughts will control you. Now, I have a confession to make at the onset of my sermon here today, and that is I am a recovering negaholic. <laughs> you heard of a workaholic and an alcoholic? I'm a recovering negaholic. Now, what is a negaholic, you might ask? A negaholic is an individual, someone who, because of adverse life experiences, now sees themselves as a victim and now views life through negative lenses. Let me say that again. A negaholic is someone who, because of adverse life experiences, now views themselves as a victim and now views life through negative lenses. My question today, are you a negaholic? <laughs> or is somebody you know a negaholic? Is somebody on your own a negaholic? Now, I want you to know that I didn't start off as a negaholic. What I did was I experienced a number of, of uh, adversities, and I internalized those adversities, and then I began to think negatively about myself. But the most important thing that I failed to do and how I got into this particular state was this. I failed to take my thoughts captive. Now, I wasn't always a negahawk. In fact, I started off really quite optimistic. <laughs> you talk about somebody who wasn't need the life of the party, hey, that was me. I got accepted Christ when I was a teenager, and I, um, teenager, and then went straight to high school, went, went straight to college, played a little bit of football, went straight then, received my call in ministry to go to Dallas Seminary, went to seminary, met my lovely bride, had three young sons, and man, life was going good, but we were on cruise control. And then got into my first pastor right out of seminary, and man, everything was looking good, up until about the third year. <laughs> and what happened then was the pastor whom I replaced decided he wanted his church back. <laughs> and so then in the midst of all that, well, now I'm in court defending my particular position as the pastor. And then there's a church split, half with me, half with him. He then gets some other friends of his who, who dislike me as much as I do, as he did, and then they disfellowship me as well. 
On top of that, there were various lawsuits that the church had, lead paint lawsuits, and then IRS all lawsuits and all these types of things. And, and, um, and, and I was getting through the things. I was getting through the things. But, but what I didn't know was that I was bleeding internally, that each of those blows were taking something out of me, but I didn't realize it at the time. And so after about 10 years, I got through it, and then I, I then was now an elevator ministry, and then elevator ministry means elevator job, elevator job. And so I got financial problems, and then I've got marital problems. I made some parenting mistakes. And then I joined another church as a staff pastor, and then the senior pastor got married with me and then excommunicated me from the church along with my wife. <laughs> and, then, and then all of a sudden, man, I realized, man, I was under a pile. And then... To make matters even worse, I said, well, I, maybe I just need to get out the state. <laughs> so then I come and move to, to, to Virginia, and, and things are going pretty well. And then all the, I'm starting a church, and it's going pretty well. And all of a sudden, it begins to dry up on the vine. And it was that last church plan failure was a blow that I didn't want or felt I could recover from. It just knocked me to my knees. And in the midst of all that, I'm telling you, I'm just mad with God. I'm just mad with God. And I, and I say to God, I, I used, God and I, we just stopped talking. Because I felt, God, you did me wrong. You brought me here, and I was expecting one thing, and I got something else. And so we just stopped talking. You ever, you ever been there? And in the midst of all that, the Holy Spirit one day said to me, he says, son, if you're going to get mad at and stop speaking to the God of heaven, who in the hell is going to help you? And all of a sudden, man, that's like the jerk out of my chain. <laughs> and I said, God, help me, please. I said, I know something's wrong. Something's wrong with my head. I just can't figure it out. I can't figure it out. Lord, would you help me? And I heard the choir a moment ago singing the reckless love of God. How many of y'all know about that? That, that, that? that in spite of where I was, he chased me down. He wouldn't let me give up. He said, get up off your knees, son, and I'm going to begin to tell you what you need to do. He said, son, it's not the circumstances that are around you that, are, that got you down in this pit. He says, it's your stinking thinking. He says, you've been thinking the first thought that pops into your head, and that's the wrong way to think. You need a better way to think. And then through reading certain books and through doing different research and through counseling with my lovely bride, I began to begin to see clearly what was going on in my head. Everybody say, my head, my head. And the Lord let me see, son, all of your, your negative thoughts fall in the five categories. And if you can simply learn to begin to take captive five thoughts you will be able to get out of this mental maze and anguish that you're in. Five simple thoughts. And if you're negative today and if you're pessimistic today and if you're feeling as though you're hopeless today, I got good news for you. There's a way out. Don't quit in the pit. There's a way out. Five thoughts you simply need to take captive. What are those thoughts? I call them the filthy five. The filthy five. Because <laughs> they're going to mess your head up something bad, Okay. <laughs> The first of those filthy five, and I use an acrostic first, F-U-R-S-T. Wasn't very good in spelling, okay? <laughs> first is fear of the future. You're just sitting there, and all of a sudden, a thought pops into your head. 
Well, what, if what if I can't make that car payment? And what if I can't pay my rent? Fear of the future. And what do you do? You begin to meditate upon it. That's one of the filthy five. That's a thought you need to take captive. Second thought pops into your head. Hmm. Well, you know, I'm doing pretty good, but I'm not doing as good as the Moors over there. The Moors got more square footage. They got more followers on Facebook. <laughs> they got more money in the bank. <laughs> and those unhealthy comparisons. You can't win with unhealthy comparisons. Then, regrets of the past. And that was my biggie right there. That's what was holding me in bondage the most. Of all the filthy five was regrets of the past. And they begin my thoughts like, well, boy, I wish I hadn't done so and so. I'm so sorry I did such and such. That was a bad decision, a bad mistake. And you begin dwelling on your history. And one of the tricks the enemy wants to do is to get you dwelling on your history so you cannot embrace your destiny in Christ. And those regrets of the past. Now, as you dwell on those regrets of the past, guess what happens? Those regrets of the past begin to make you feel sad. And that opens the door to self-condemning thoughts. How could I have been so dumb? So stupid. People told me I do it, but I did it anyway. What's wrong with you? And you begin to internalize those thoughts. And then when you're feeling down, the devil then is ready, ready to really jump on you then because now you're in pain. And so you're now more susceptible to temptations of all kinds. And so now, instead of eating one donut, you eat the whole box. Instead of eating one slice of pizza, you eat the whole pizza and then drink a Diet Coke. <laughs> Again, all of a sudden, the lights seem bright on Broadway. <laughs> Those who like shopping, all of a sudden, every store's got a sale and everything must go. <laughs> Because you're being more tempted because of the fact of this cycle. And this is, the, this is the, the cycle that leads to depression. And that's how I ended up in the bottom of the pit because I continued to dwell on these thoughts without taking those thoughts captive. The filthy five. Anybody can relate to them? Okay, they all come, came knocking on your door at one time or the other, <laughs> tapping on your head, okay? So what do we do with these things? How do we begin to learn how to manage our thoughts? The Apostle Paul, who went through a whole lot of adversity, trials, and tests, gives us some insight into how we can begin to take our thoughts captive. And in fact, um, the whole point of Paul in, first, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5, he lays out for us a strategy. And so there we find in that particular passage, Paul tells us that, you know, the weapons of our warfare, you know, they're not carnal, but they, they're mighty in God. For the pulling down of or strongholds. And what are strongholds? Strongholds are essentially just repeated patterns of thinking. We've been thinking a certain way. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. You know, I came on the wrong side of tracks. He said, so for the pulling down of strongholds. And we need to realize that as we begin to think that every thought that pops into our head, we shouldn't think. And so Paul goes on to talk about the whole aspect that, that, we, that we are indeed destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are then therefore taken captive, taking captive those particular thoughts. You see? And so if you want to take your thoughts captive, you know, because you don't want the thoughts to captivate you, you got to be in a mindset to take the thoughts captive. 
And to take a cap- thought captive is the aspect of, of no longer allowing that thought to continually play on the movie screen of your mind to continue to talk to you. So the thought management strategy that I came up with that I want to introduce you today is the whole aspect of what I call check, challenge, change, and reframe. Check, challenge, change, and reframe. Now, how do they work, and where did I get them from? I know it's a Bible-teaching church, and I know your pastor's always preaching that Bible. And so, in, so here in, in Matthew chapter 4, verses um, 1 through 4, Jesus is being tempted by the enemy. Okay, so Matthew 4, 1 through 4. And the enemy comes to Jesus, and he begins to tempt him. Now, Jesus hadn't eaten in 40 days and 40 nights, and so no doubt Jesus was a little hungry, okay? <laughs> and so, as you look at our particular passage here today, and so it says that the Satan came to him, okay? He came to Jesus to, to, to tempt him to eat the... What he said to him, he said, you know, hey, I want you to indeed to, to, to turn these stones into bread. Okay? Turn the stones into bread. But Jesus basically didn't do it. And what he did was he then told him no. And then what he did, he took that, that suggestion from the enemy and then he indeed turned it. He then turned that into a scripture. And as we go through the process here, I, I, um, I want you to be mindful of that whole process of what I call a check, a challenge, and a change. Because that's the process. You recognize that the fact that you have to, so to check the thought basically means to recognize the thought. You got to see what kind of thought it is. And when you have a negative thought, you need to, you need to realize it's one under filthy five. It's one under filthy five, flat out. You just got to figure out what it is. So you got to check the thought. Then you got to challenge the thought. And the challenge of thought simply means to resist the thought. Resist thinking of, about the particular thing. Tell that thought no. And then to indeed check, challenge, and change the thought is the whole aspect of to replace that thought with a particular scripture that will indeed counteract the impact of that thought on your mind. That's what the process of the whole check, challenge, change, and reframe process is all about. So how does this thing work then? And as we, as we look to kind of pull these two things together, okay? When a fear of the future thought pops into your mind, what you need to do is to begin to be in a position to, to be able to identify what type of thought it is. And that's what Paul talks about when he says, taking your thoughts captive. In 2 Corinthians, okay, there, chapter 10, verses 3, 4, and 5. Okay, and I'm going to repeat those to you once again. I'm going to state it for you once again. It says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God and we're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So now you're sitting on your couch and a fear of the future thought pops up. And that fear of the future thought is, this marriage of mine is in big trouble and I don't know if we're going to make it. Or month is long, 
but the money is short. How are you going to make it? I heard there were layoffs on the job, and they laid off my friend a few weeks ago, and I wonder if I'm next. Fear of the future. So when that thought comes to your mind, you got to check it, categorize it. It's a fear of the future. Then you got to resist being willing to talk to, to think about it, and then you simply need to change it. You need to change it. You need to change it. So what do you do? Now, what I do is I carry around me some three-by-five cards, okay? See them here in my hand, all color-coded and everything like that, okay? And I keep them in my pocket right here. And so when a fear of the future thought pops up, what I do is I change it. Just as when Jesus was dealing with Satan in the wilderness, and Satan said to Jesus, turn these stones into bread. Jesus quoted to the devil Deuteronomy 8.3, which states what? Man should not live by bread alone. And what you need to do and what I need to do and what I learned to do is simply we have to need to do the same thing. So when a fear of the future thought pops into your head, either on your phone or on three-by-five cards, you tech-savvy folk, you know, hey, I take up my little card, read my fear of the future thought. Here it is, Matthew 6.34. It says, so do not be anxious about tomorrow. God will take care of your tomorrow too. Live one day at a time. See that? Live one day at a time. One day at a time. See, and, and the problem that most of us are having is the fact that we are looking, fear, we're, we're fearful of the future because we feel as though we won't have the strength to deal with whatever it is we're fearing. But what you need to realize is that, that God gives you grace for today. You see? And, and the, some of the things that you're fearful about facing in the future, you need to realize, listen, most of the things we think about and we fear are fearful about never even happen, okay? Then the second thing you need to realize is this, that the thing that you're fearing is yet in the future. And you need to realize that when you get there, you may not have the strength today, but you're not dealing with it today. today. You're dealing with it in the future. And when you get there, know that God will give you the grace and the strength that day to deal with that bad boy, okay? So he said, live one day at a time. Live one day at a time. And you read that thing to yourself because God will give you grace for the day. Yeah. Give you grace for the day. Don't get caught up in fear of the future. So then you're at home or you're on the job, and all of a sudden, you know, another thought comes to your mind. You know, uh, uh, an unhealthy comparison, you know. And, and, you know, you look at so-and-so, and boy, you know, um, maybe it's a young lady, you know, and you ladies looking at another young lady and say, boy, girlfriend looking good. But instead of, you know, you know cheering with it, you know, you're like, she thinks she all that. <laughs> See, she knows she's all that. You just mad because you're not all that, Okay. And you begin thinking to yourself, boy I, boy, I wish I had her lips, hips, and fingertips, you know. <laughs> but what you need to realize, listen, when God made you, he made you just the way he wanted you, okay? And if you had her lips, hips, and fingertips, it wouldn't be a blessing, it'd be a burden, okay? Because God's got all of us on our own race. We're all running our own race, and we need to stay in our own lane. So when those unhealthy comparisons come to your mind, you need to take them captive, and you need to say, as Psalm 139, take out your card, read it, it says Psalm 139, verse 14. It says, I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. See, stop comparing yourself. God has given everybody a, a, the talent and the temperament to do what he's called them to do. You don't need what somebody else has because, in fact, you're not running their race. 
And God has given you everything that you need. Sure, you're going to have to develop it. Sure, you're going to have to cultivate it. But you've got everything you need. And stop telling yourself you're not good enough, that you're not smart enough. God said, when I made you, I gave you everything that you needed. And we get into trouble with this unhealthy comparison because in that game, you can't win. You can't win. It's like a seesaw. Because when you compare yourself to somebody whom you feel better than, what happens is your self-esteem escalates. But when you compare yourself to somebody who you think is better than you, all of a sudden your self-esteem starts to plummet. And all through life, it's like a seesaw, baby. Up, down, and all around. You ain't going to win that one, boy. So you need to just stop it, okay? But, you knew you're going to, but the devil's going to always come with it because, you know, you're driving down the street, and all of a sudden you got a nice little car, but all of a sudden somebody comes by past you with a Mercedes-Benz SL, you know, QZB. <laughs> and you're looking at your little Humdee and say, like, Lord, have mercy. Why well, wouldn't one of them? It's all around you. And that's how the American economy stays flushed with cash because every commercial that you see is letting you know that you don't, you're not quite there. You don't have enough. You're not good enough. And all it is is just the enemy trying to get you caught up into unhealthy comparisons. And you can't win it. So you go on as you work your way through. Then regrets of the past come up. And this is the beginning. This is where a lot of us are, are trapped in our minds because of regrets of the past. I wish I hadn't spent the first half of my life on drugs. I really messed my life up. I messed my children's life up. I wish I had not been incarcerated. I, I, I wish I had been more focused when I was growing up. And now I'm in my 30s or my 40s or my 50s. wondering what's going on. How can I ever get back on track? And the enemy will take a, like, like a club and beat you over the head with this one, boy. Because, you know, you can't go back and you can't change it. And so, but he has you pondering it and, and thinking it through over and over and over again. But you can't do anything about your past. And so when, those, so when those regrets of the past come up, what you need to be mindful of is the realization, the realization that God's got a word for you. Take out your little three-by-five car or your little phone, and you just simply turn to Jeremiah 29, 11. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to what? Prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. See that? God said, listen, I, I, I ain't not giving up on you. Your plans may not have worked out, but those plans may not even have been my plans. He said, I got plans. I got plans with an S on the end. Listen, you may plan A, B, and C not work, but I got a D, E, and an F. That's better than what you thought you ever could have. That's what I'll do for you. But you got to believe the word that the plans are there. Those things you went through, you had to go through to get you to where you are right now. And so he says, listen, you need to realize that Satan wants you to hold on to your history so you cannot embrace your destiny. But you can't hold on to both at the same time. And some of us need to simply drop the past. We need to learn to forgive ourselves. We are so quick to forgive other people and find it so difficult to forgive ourselves. Do I get anybody out there who can talk about what I'm, not, know what I'm talking about? Learning to forgive yourself because God says my plans took into consideration the fact you were going to mess up. My plans took into the fact that consideration you were going to make that dumb decision. My plans took into the fact you were going to marry that joke everybody told you not to marry. Okay? My plans took it all into consideration. But Romans 8, 28 says that if you, that if you want to trust me, that I can what? work all things what? together for your good. I got some plans for you. You got to be mindful of that. You ever wonder why when you're driving the car that, you know, your rearview mirror is, is so much small, but your front windshield is so big? You ever notice that? 
And that's because where you've been is not as important as where you're going. All right? <laughs> God said, look ahead. Recognize, listen, that these regrets of the past are not going to hold you in bondage anymore. And then those self-condemning thoughts. You're just sitting there minding your own business. Thought popping in your head from Satan. Now, you are a pitiful excuse for a Christian. What a hypocrite you are. You messed up again, sinned again. Going to God to ask again, but you know you're going to do it again. You're just a pitiful little mess. <laughs> and you sit there and say, yeah, I am. You know, Satan, you got a point there. I did do this before, and I'm about to do it again. <laughs> Don't stop agreeing with the devil. <laughs> he trying to talk you into an argument that he knows he's going to bring you down into the pits. You see what I mean? And so therefore, what we got to be mindful to do is, is, is got to read your word. Because Romans 8 uh, uh, um, verse 1, which you hear again, your little three-by-five card, take it on out. Keep them with you. I keep them all with you all, at all times because you're going to get some downtime. And there's those times, so you got to prepare for the battle before it happens. And that's what a lot of us aren't doing. We're not preparing ahead of time. I remember an interview with, with, uh, with uh, Emma Smith, Cowboys uh, running back. He said, do you remember who, who, who hit you the hardest? What defensive man hit you the hardest? He says, you know, I can't remember. He said, but this is one thing I do know. The hits I didn't see hurt the most. I said, so why? He said, because I did not have time to prepare my body for the impact. And there are many of us who we know the enemy's after us. We know there's a battlefield of the mind going on, and we are not preparing ourselves. We are just saying, well, here, this, this is the day that the Lord has made, but we're not putting on our spiritual armor to indeed protect our minds from what it is that we need to go through. And so, therefore, Romans 8.1 lets us know this. When you're feeling those self-condemning thoughts, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You got there, no condemnation. So when the enemy's accusing you, recognize that is not God talking about how bad you are. You are. God knew what you were going to do before you did it. And stop thinking you're disappointing God. God is omniscient. <laughs> okay? I mean, he knows it all. He knew you were going to make that left when he told you to go right. You're not disappointing God. He knew it all the time. God's a God of grace. He's a God of forgiveness. He will see you through it. It didn't take him by. God, I can't believe she did that. Or he did that. Or he said that. Oh. God said, hey, that's my child. Never does the blood covers it. <laughs> it's like that beer commercial talking about, talking about um, whatever you do, this bud's for you. I change it around and says, God says, whatever you do, this blood's for you. He going to cover that thing, okay? He going to cover it. What, and what does the word of God say about us as, as, as his children? 2 Peter 2.9 says, for the Lord knows how to, um, I'm sorry, that's the second one. We, we got this one here. First uh, Peter 2.9, it says, for you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. A holy nation, a people of God's own choosing, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Don't you realize you got world blood flowing through your vein? Hallelujah. Don't you know you got friends in high places? <laughs> so what you need to realize as a new child of God, realize that you're a new creature in Christ Jesus. You've been adapted into a new family. And so therefore, and you have the Holy Spirit dwelling with on the inside of you, therefore you are more than a conqueror. 
You are an overcomer. You are a victor and not a victim. You are eternally loved, see? You are indeed favored of God. So we have to begin saying to ourselves that I am more than a conqueror. I am an overcomer. I am a victor and not a victim. I am eternally loved. I'm favored of God. I'm well protected. I'm assured of success. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And guess what? I'm destined to win if I do not quit. Glory, hallelujah. See, that's how God works this thing. It's not what you think about yourself. It's what God says about you. That, that, that indeed makes all the difference. Years ago, my wife and I, when we were young and in love, back in those days, we used to teach a, um, a children's church, four- and five-year-olds. And one day a little kid walked in there, boy, he walked in there with a whole lot of swag. Boy, he was strutting like he was going to teach that day, boy. He was just a walking and a talking. And walking there, he had blue shorts on, and he had a red shirt on, much like him, with white letters. And, and it said on, on, on the T-shirt, God, don't make junk. <laughs> and he realized that God didn't make a mistake when he made you. He took all the things that, and, and the mishaps and plan B's and C's and worked them all together so that you need to realize that, listen, there is, he's not condemning you. The reckless love of God. No matter where you go, no matter how far you go off, God is right there with you, loving you, wooing you back unto himself. Have any of you ever went astray? Raise your hand. Oh, don't. Well, we got the angelic choir up in here today. <laughs> oh, we know we gone astray. We don't want to talk about it. We, we, we went down some roads we wish we never had traveled before. Can I get an amen? But God is such that he'll love us on back. His stubborn love never lets go of us. And so therefore now, your temptation comes. I hear that, that heavenly music choir. It's about time for me to wrap it up with you. Listen up. <laughs> A temptation comes along. But the Lord lets us know that he knows how to protect the godly from temptation. He lets us know that. 2 Peter 2, 9, For the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation. See, and that's how we work this thing. I'm mindful of a funny story. A man had told his wife that, a wife had told her husband that she, was, she had been doing a whole lot of shopping. She'd been tempted to do a whole lot of shopping. And then all of a sudden she uh, said, I need to stop this shopping. So she told her husband, listen, hold me. I want you to hold me accountable so I stop all this shopping. And so he said, okay, we took the little pinky square on it, and they, they, were, they were good to go. But she, one day she, was, she made a mistake. She was walking in the mall. She was walking in that mall. She saw the dress from the window. And she got a little bit closer. The, mall, the sign said 40% off. It was a gorgeous. She made another mistake. She went inside to try the dress on. She got in front of the mirror, and that dress accentuated all of her assets. She said, I know what I told my husband. I just got to get this thing, and it's 40% off. She, she was under heavy conviction, but she bargained it anyway, stuck it inside a bag, and, and went on home. And as she was driving home, she told her husband, she said, I'm, I'm going to have to tell him when I get in the house. But I, it was too good a deal to pass. She told her husband, and he got hot. I'm about to take that credit card from you. Couldn't you just simply tell the devil to get thee behind me? She said, I did. And the devil said, it looked especially good from behind. <laughs> God knows how to rescue you from temptation if you got the will to, okay? What we need to realize is that, listen, these thoughts are going to continue to come. I want to let you know you cannot eradicate your negative thoughts. They have to be replaced. They have to be replaced. Do you realize that 75% of all your thoughts are negative, counterproductive, and work against you? They're not going anyplace because of our sinful fallen nature. And that 87% of our illnesses are attributed to our thought life. 
And so therefore, we, you need to realize that, listen, God is in a situation which he has provided for you a way to indeed be rescued and be relieved from the mental anguish you may be going through today. He mentioned a book in the back, and this book is basically the journey that I went through to get out of the pit by God's grace. I wrote it simply for you. I want to encourage you to simply take it, read it a little bit each and every day at a time, and you'll begin to understand your thought life in a new way, and you'll develop a better way to think. Let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, we come before you. And Father, we thank you for the time that we've had. And Father, I pray right now for all those under the sound of my voice that you would, Lord God, by your grace, give them a desire and a want to, Lord God, to change the way that they think. The thoughts are going to continue to come, but they can learn how to replace them by your grace and their desire, Lord God, to do some of the hard work. There's a battlefield for the mind going on, but Father God, we have the victory because we are in you. And Father, I just pray a special prayer for all those today who may be struggling, that you would, Lord God, help them to find a better way to think. In Jesus' name, amen.